If you'd like to read along in one of the church Bibles and you don't have one, pop your hand up now and the ushers will get one to you. <clears throat> and this is, we're reading from Philippians 4, verses 10 to 23, and that's on page 832 in the church Bibles. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To God, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. As a society, what is it that we most want for ourselves above all else? What is it that we most want for those that we, uh, that we love? Generally, the answer is happiness, isn't it? Life's great goal for most people in our culture is to be happy. But some people would say to us that if happiness is our goal, that we're misguided. Like one Melbourne-based psychiatrist who even wrote on the conversation that when his clients say to him, I just want to be happy, he tries to help them see that, this is what he says, clinging to the fiction of being able to avoid suffering and enjoying a continue state, continuing state of pleasure is tantamount to self-deception. An Australian author, Hugh Mackay, said at the Sydney Writers' Festival a couple of years ago, he said, I actually attack the concept of happiness. I don't mind people being happy, but the idea that everything we do is part of the pursuit of happiness seems to me a really dangerous idea and has led to a contemporary disease in Western society, which is fear of sadness. Today, after nine weeks, as Dave said, we finally come to the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in this letter, have you noticed again and again, Paul rejoices. He's full of joy, even though he's in prison in Rome and he's facing the death penalty for being a follower of Jesus, and yet still he rejoices. But for Paul, even though he rejoices, happiness is not his greatest pursuit in life. Joy is not actually his goal. 
We've seen over the last week that Paul's great pursuit in life is knowing Jesus and making Jesus known to others as well. But even though Paul's not chasing after joy, even though his greatest pursuit is to know Jesus and to make him known, as he chases after that goal, he finds joy and contentment along the way. No matter what the circumstances, Paul has joy and contentment. It makes you think, how does he do it? How does he do it? Well, that's what we're going to look at a little bit today. Today, we're going to do three different things. First, we're going to carefully but briefly look at how Paul finishes his letter. And we'll see three things that Paul says at the end of his letter. He says, contentment in any and every situation is possible because of Jesus. Then he says, at the end of his letter, giving represents friendship and partnership in the gospel. And finally, he says, giving points to spiritual health and pleases God. That's first. We're going to do that. But second, we're going to do something a bit different. We're going to briefly look at what our world thinks about these three things. What does our world say about contentment? What does our world say about friendship? And what does our world say about giving away money? And then finally, when we've done those two things, we're going to think about what God is saying to us today from this part of Philippians. So first, let's have a close but brief look at the end of this ancient letter. Now, Paul, he's writing in about 60 AD, remember. He's writing from a prison in Rome. And remember, in those days, prisons didn't supply food and clothes. Your friends had to supply those. You were completely dependent on them. And so the church in Philippi, part of Greece these days, had sent money to Paul in Rome so that he could eat and live. And so Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians in response to their gift. And he's hinted at their gift a couple of times through the letter, you might have noticed. But right here at the end, this is the first time that he directly talks about their gift. And look at what he says in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Now, to us, this could sound a little bit sarcastic, kind of like a backhanded compliment. You know, these days we might say, thanks, but it took you long enough, didn't it? In fact, we could read this whole bit, this whole section of the letter and think, maybe Paul's being a bit rude and ungrateful. Like, why does he say thanks right at the end of the letter rather than at the beginning? And why does he go on to say, just after this bit, that he would have been content whether they sent their gift or not? Look at verse 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. For us, these days, we we show our thanks by delighting in the gift. So even if we don't like what it is that someone's given us, we still make a big deal of it as a way of thanking the other person. Now, probably this is because we're more of a a materialistic kind of culture. We delight in stuff, sometimes at the expense of delighting in people. So when Paul here doesn't delight in the gift, to us, he sounds a bit rude. But for him, it's the opposite. For him to delight in the stuff, the gift, that would be to miss what the gift represents. So notice what exactly he does rejoice in back in verse 10. He says, 
I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He rejoices because of their concern for him. Now, Paul realizes that it could sound like he's upset with them for not showing their concern earlier. So he's quick to add, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. The point is that Paul rejoices in their relationship, their friendship. And the gift is just the means by which they've expressed their relationship. Have you ever met someone who's just got engaged? And it's almost like the engagement ring that they're wearing to them is more important than the person they've actually got engaged to. It's like the the engagement ring takes centre stage and what it points to, the engagement, doesn't really matter. The right relationship. It makes me think of um, some other friends who got engaged. They couldn't afford a decent engagement ring at the time, so instead they used a hose clamp. (laughs) But they were still delighted because their joy was completely in the relationship not in the bling. Funny thing is, when I went looking for this, I found you can actually get engagement rings that are hose clamps with diamonds in it. (laughs) Weird. Paul here in this letter, he's going to great lengths to show that his joy is in what the gift, their gift represents, not the gift itself. Now, he's not saying that he didn't need their gift. He's saying his joy didn't need their gift or at least his contentment didn't need their gift. Look at verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Wouldn't you love to know that secret? Wouldn't you love to be content in life no matter what? whatever life throws at you. I used to read this and think that this was a secret that Paul was keeping to himself, but he's not keeping it to himself. He tells them exactly what the secret is in verse 13. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul can face having plenty or face having nothing and still be content either way because he has Jesus. And so this is the first thing we see in this last part of the letter. Contentment in any and every situation is possible because of Jesus. This isn't a kind of magical strength that Paul has. Jesus doesn't magically make Paul's troubles disappear or magically make Paul kind of rise above them. That's not Paul's point here. His point is that his highest goal in life is knowing Christ. And so long as he, as he has Christ, then he can face anything. Now, we've already seen this across the letter. We saw it in Philippians 1.21. Paul said, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And we saw it back in Philippians 3 verse 8, where Paul says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. We've seen it throughout the letter. The secret of Paul's contentment is knowing Jesus. He realizes that Jesus is more than enough. And so he can accept hard circumstances because they can't rob him of what he has in Jesus. And he can accept good circumstances because no matter how good they are, they just can't compare to what he has in Jesus. So Paul's point 
here at the end of the letter is that he rejoices not that he can eat well that night, he rejoices because of their concern for him. And we see this in verse 14 as well. Even though he was content before they sent the gift, he says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Their giving to him was was sharing or, it says, partnering in Paul's imprisonment. And this is not the first time these guys have, have shared in his troubles. They're really faithful friends who've done it time and time again. And so this is the second thing we see in this last part of the letter. Giving represents friendship and partnership in the gospel. The way they understood friendship back then is, is probably a little bit different to how we understand it these days. Back then, friendship was all about mutual giving and receiving. And it was common to talk about friendship with business kind of language even as kind of debit and credit. Weird for us, it sounds pretty strange. But as usual, as we've seen throughout the letter, again, Paul transforms their understanding of friendship with the gospel. So he says in verse 15, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared or partnered with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Now, remember about Paul, normally he wouldn't let churches support him. He wouldn't let them give to him. He supported himself. He, he made tents for a living. But he did let the Philippian church support him. And the reason was because he considered them deep friends and partners on the same page as him. They really understood each other and so he trusted them as his friends. But instead of being a friendship that's built on mutual giving and receiving, like friendships were back then, it's a friendship built first on the gospel. They're united in in the common goal of knowing Jesus and making him known. And so Paul rejoices when they send their gift to him because it points to their deep friendship, which is built on their partnership in the gospel. What Paul really wants, which we've already seen, is not their gifts. Look at verse 17 where he says what he really wants for them. He says, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. The reason Paul wants to see them being generous is because it actually points to their spiritual health. And this is the third thing that we see in this last part of the letter. Giving points to spiritual health and it pleases God. In my backyard at the moment, I've got about six fruit trees, I think, and many of them are flowering and and sprouting leaves right now. Now, some of them have flowered already, like this apricot tree that you can see here, and it's actually covered in tiny little apricots all over it. But a couple of them look borderline dead. In fact, they could well be dead. I planted a a pear tree recently and I didn't follow the nursery's instructions. I know, a bit of a cowboy when it comes to planting trees. I also planted in a bit of a dodgy spot. So it looks pretty bad at the moment. I'm not sure whether it's going to survive. But if it does finally flower and produce fruit, then I'll be excited at that point. It might take a a few years before it happens. And it might only produce one or two, two pears in that first year. But still, I'll be rejoicing, not so much in the one or two pairs, but because the fruit will be evidence that I didn't kill it. (laughs) 
the fruit will be evidence that it's still alive and well. Paul's saying here that their giving is actually evidence of the gospel bearing fruit in their lives. It's evidence that God's at work in their hearts. Evidence that they belong to Jesus and that their citizenship is in God's kingdom. And amazingly, even though God owns everything, everything in this world, still our giving pleases God. Look at what Paul says their gifts achieve in verse 18. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Okay, that's how Paul's letter ends. There's a few greetings and a couple of other things that we could look at. But for now, I want to do something different. I want to jump forward 2,000 years to the present. So Paul says, contentment in any and every situation is possible because of Jesus. But what does our world today say about contentment? Okay, so we're going to step aside from Philippians for a second and just think, what does our world today say about contentment? Well, open a catalogue and what you see on display on every page is the promise of contentment. Make summer perfect. If you can see in the background, there's the promise of contentment in the background. People having barbecues or picnics, camping, riding bikes, living the good life. Contentment is the goal that's held up in front of us. You know, look at this guy. It's just a sword, but look how happy he looks in that picture. Half of you aren't even listening anymore. You're planning your trip to Audi after this. But what effect does this have on us, this this world that we live in, contentment always held up in front of us? Well, it has the opposite effect, doesn't it? It makes us discontent. That's the purpose of marketing, so they tell us, on things like Gruen Transfer. Whether it's catalogues, billboards or TV ads, they hold up pictures of happiness and they hold up the promise of contentment. And they offer to sell it to you because what you have right now, whether you realise it or not, it's inadequate. We're pushed to consume everywhere that we look in this world today. We're promised contentment on the side of a bus, in Facebook ads, even in airport toilets. There are ads promising us contentment and it has the opposite effect. It causes discontentment. A guy called Henry Fairley, he wrote a book called The Seven Deadly Sins Today. And he basically says that we're a people harassed by greed just to the extent that our greed leads us to engage in unsatisfying modes of work so that we may buy things that we've been harassed into believing will satisfy us. It's a bit depressing and it's a bit true, unfortunately. Instead of accepting what we have, the problem is that we've accepted the idea that we can acquire contentment, we can purchase it or own it or experience it for a price. And more than that, these days don't we secretly believe that it's our right to be happy? It's our right even to be content, to have the job and the family and the life that fulfills us. That's our right, we believe. But the sad reality is that because we think circumstances is linked, sorry, contentment is linked to our circumstances, because we think contentment is linked to our circumstances, we actually rarely ever find ourselves content. Rarely do the the stars align so that we're in good health, in a good place in our relationships, in good finances, 
in fulfilling jobs. It just doesn't happen very often. And if it does, it just doesn't last. And in that one moment, when you do feel content, then you go on Facebook or Instagram and you see what your friends are doing, the cream of their lives with a coloured filter. And the more you scroll, the more contentment just evaporates. So our world today, it tells us we need to get ourselves some contentment. But it tells us that the way to get there is by chasing after individual happiness through experiences or through stuff. But the truth is, that's never going to work for us. Well, the next thing that Paul said was that giving represents friendship and partnership in the gospel. But what does our world today say about this kind of friendship? Well, I reckon our world today tells us that we need friends, but it doesn't really tell us how to get them or how to keep them or how to be a good friend. Like Facebook, for instance, tells us that friends are important, but Facebook seems to have very little to do with real friendship. I mean, you can see what's happening in someone else's life without them even knowing, without even interacting them. It's kind of convenient, but it's weird, isn't it? You can see that they've gotten married or they've had a baby or a new job, and they don't even need to know that you're, you're seeing all these things. For those of us who get married and have kids, apparently it becomes increasingly hard for us to have real friends. We prioritise other things. And they say that we even lose the skills of making friends. Men especially today struggle to have friends. And deep friendship between men is so rare that when it does happen our world sees it as probably being gay. Where friendship does happen, most of the time we're either shallow friends with a purpose, like work friends or sporting friends on a team, or we're shallow friends with no purpose, like our Facebook friends that we don't really know, or there are some people that we're deeper friends with, but sometimes without a deeper purpose. But Paul, he's talking about something completely different to all of these. He's talking about deep friendships that also have a deeper purpose. They have the goal of together knowing Jesus and making him known. And rather than this goal making the friendship superficial or temporary, it makes the friendships deep and eternal. The third thing that Paul says to us is that giving points to spiritual health and pleases God. But what does our world today say about giving? Well, in our world today, we like the idea of being generous. But the reality is probably actually that we're not as generous as we think. Did you know that if your net worth is $4,400, so your car, your bank balance, whatever, if that that adds up to $4,400, you're in the top half of the world, the top richest half of the world. Now, Listen to this though, if your net worth is $76,000, then you're in the top 10% of the world. You're ludicrously rich. That's many of us here in Australia. But even though we're the rich in Australia, we actually don't give that much away. According to the latest Australian Taxation Office figures, tax-deductible donations in Australia were just 0.4% of our income on average. So, If someone earned $100,000, on average that means that they would give $400 a year to a charity. Now, the graph just doesn't look that impressive, does it? 
And apparently, the richer we are as Australians, the smaller the proportion of income that we actually give. That little slice gets smaller and smaller the richer we are. And 40% of people with a taxable income over a million dollars don't give any tax deductible donations to charity. Unbelievable. The truth is, our world today, I think, says generosity is a great thing, but it's just not on our radar. We don't actually get around to it. Now, there's heaps more that we could say about what our world today thinks about these things, but I want to leave that behind and come to our last section. I want to finish by moving on to something different. We've seen how Paul finishes his letter. We've seen something of what our world has to say about these things. But now, in this last section, I want us to think about what God says to us in our lives today. So, first Paul said, contentment in any and every situation is possible because of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, this is great news for you. Do you know that? Contentment is possible. No matter what your circumstances are, whether great or terrible, knowing Jesus means that you really can know contentment. Around you today are a whole heap of people who are in all sorts of situations. Some of them, great, but some of them actually really hard situations. But people who nonetheless, because of Jesus, know contentment. Some people here have lost loved ones, babies even, husbands. Some have had cancer. Some people here have done very well in life and could have done even better, but still they're content. Not because of what they have, but because they know Jesus. Yesterday, when I was looking for an Instagram photo to illustrate my point about social media making us discontent, I showed you the picture before of my friend over in the UK, I came across a picture from my sister on on her account, which was of my mum, and it sort of flashed up, sort of confronted me. She died when I was 20. I was sad seeing this photo. I am sad still. There's a sadness that just doesn't go away. But I can honestly say knowing Jesus means even still... I'm content. Sadness and contentment can coexist when you know Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of this world. There's nothing going on in your life right now that's too big for him. Nothing. And we can chase happiness and security in all sorts of places, but we are made to know him. We're made to know him. And knowing him is the secret to real contentment. Knowing Jesus means that Our future is safe beyond death. Our life now is safe because God is our Father. He'll look after us and care for us. When Jesus is your Savior, it means that He died for you and He lives to guard not your happiness, He lives to guard your very soul. If you want contentment, Jesus is the secret. Come and talk to me afterwards and I'll help you discover more about Jesus. If you're already a Christian, then you already know that this kind of contentment is possible. But you probably have got times where you struggle to feel it. We all do. In this world of discontentment, everything shouts out out at us that we need more. But if you're listening, the Holy Spirit is speaking clearly to us, telling us that Jesus is everything we could ever dream of or want. 
But we need to stay in tune with the voice of the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Well, that's what this letter to the Philippians has been all about, hasn't it? These last nine weeks. We've seen that we really can rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1. We really can remember our goal, where we're headed. We can know the power of Jesus' resurrection now. We can hear his voice daily as we reflect on it in Scripture. We can pray to God in chapter 4 and ask him for the peace that surpasses understanding and guards our hearts and minds. We can remind each other that everything that we've ever dreamed of and even more is found in Christ. And we can get better at seeing through the lies. Some lies are obvious. I was in Audi on Friday and there was a, a poster for a, a coffee machine. I'm, I'm picking on Audi a bit today. It's because I was there. And this coffee machine, it said, um, 17 flavours, the possibilities are endless. And I thought, I thought they would be 17, the possibilities. I suppose if you mix and match, you might have some more possibilities. But I still don't think Audi coffee Audi coffee is going to give me endless possibilities in life. Surely not. Now, some lies are obvious. But there's a whole heap of lies that aren't so obvious. Like this one. If only I was married, I'd be content. Or this one. If only I wasn't married to this person, I'd be content. <laughs> That's how some people feel. Or if only I had work or more money or respect, or my relationship with my kids was better, or I had kids, or good health, then I'd be content. Lots of things promise contentment, but in the end, only Jesus is, can deliver it. Only Jesus can deliver contentment. Next, we saw Paul say that giving represents friendship and partnership in the gospel. Sometimes we give to the work of God's kingdom and then we stop there and we don't think about it anymore. But remember the way Paul, he rejoices not in the gift, even though it meant he could eat. He rejoices in the relationship. He rejoices in their gospel partnership. We need to remember when we give to our gospel partners that our partnership means that we should also be looking to grow our deep friendship with them. I think that's a different way of thinking. So let me give you just a, a couple of simple ways that you could do that. When they send their ne newsletter to you next time, just write back a couple of sentences. It, it means the world to them, actually. And even better, I've heard this straight from them, just randomly send them a, a message to see how they're going and tell them what's happening in your life. They love it. Having an organisation like CMS uh, that does a lot of the caring on our behalf... It's great, but the downside is that we can easily neglect our partnership and think that they'll do it all for us. Now, sometimes we might feel like our, our partners aren't connecting very well with us, but don't forget that they're the ones in a foreign country, away from home, away from family. They're the ones serving on our behalf, and we might know one or two of them, but they know 200 of us and more if they're connected with other churches. We don't just partner them with money. We partner them with our very selves. So let me ask you, when was the last time that you reached out to one of them 
just to encourage them. And don't forget on this point as well that we are partners here too. We're called to deep, honest friendship, giving and receiving from each other. We're not called to shallow friendship. Our friendship is built on knowing Christ together and making Him known. So we're not like Facebook friends, we're like brothers and sisters in Christ. And finally, we saw Paul say that giving points to spiritual health and pleases God. As a dad, sometimes when my kids get money or sometimes when they've been at a party and get one of those party bags and bring it back, on very rare occasions they come back and they want to share what they've got with their other brothers and sisters. And I can tell you when it happens, it warms your heart. Well, Paul says to us that God's pleased when his children, us, are generous like him. There's a show on Netflix at the moment called The Good Place. Has anyone actually seen it? Yeah, quite a few. All right, the basic principle of the show is that if you do good on earth, you'll score enough points, and well, you'll score points, and based on your points, you'll either end up in the bad place or the good place. That's nothing like Christianity. It's nothing like Jesus. All of us deserve to go to the bad place. The only way that we can escape the bad place is by Jesus dying for us, giving his life for us. God's saying that he wants us to be generous like him because we're already his children, because of Jesus' generosity, what Jesus has already given. And so, as God's children already, when we're generous, it pleases him like a father with a child. Let me tell you some things that are pleasing to God. Since we've been doing this series in Philippians, three of our four compassion children have been sponsored. That's people being set free from poverty. That is pleasing to God. Eleven more people have started to support CMS. I don't know who they are, but I asked them the other day. Eleven more people. How awesome is that? And one family has started supporting James Foley at Mawson Lakes. That fills me with joy, but more importantly, that is pleasing to God. Let's keep being a church that's touched by God's generosity. I'd love it if we were all partnered with our link missionaries. I'd love it if, if James Foley, instead of having to drop half a day, could keep on campus at Mawson Lakes telling people about Jesus. I'd love it if our final compassion child could get sponsored so that we could get some more profiles. Why? Because God's generosity, producing generosity in us, it pleases Him and it points to our spiritual health. Paul says to the Philippians, even though he's in prison and he can't give back to his gospel partners, he says that God will do it on his behalf. Look at verse 19. He says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God will meet their every need and our every need. Not our every desire or our every want, but our every need. And not just our physical needs, but our spiritual needs too. Any generosity that we could ever show, it's nothing compared to what God has shown us and will show us in Christ Jesus. We can never outgive God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the kind of God you are, so generous, 
in not only giving us creation, giving us life, giving us so many good things in this world. We thank you that you gave us Jesus. Although in very nature God himself lowered himself to death on a cross for us, ungrateful people. Father, your generosity knows no bounds, no limits. We pray, Lord, that having come to put our faith in Christ, having experienced his generosity, we might have a heart like yours, that we would be people content in any and every situation because we know Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, and becoming more and more like him, that we might be generous in this world, generous in the way we think, generous with our time, generous with the resources you've given us, and that we might do this to your glory, Lord, trusting in you all the time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.